Amen. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We'll start reading in verse 14. The preceding verses tell us that Jesus is coming back, returning from the mountain of transfiguration, where he was with Peter, James, and John, and um, was transfigured before them, and his clothes became white and glistening, and uh, uh, Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with them, and a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved son. And so it says in verse 14, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away, and I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now, do we need to turn over to some other scriptures and see where Jesus has uh, uh, delegated healing authority to his disciples, delegated uh, the power to heal all sickness and all disease and to cast out devils? Do we need to look at that, or are we well convinced that they have been given the power that obviously, in this case, they were not able to make work? Do you see the point? It says, the man says, they could not. That certainly indicates that they tried and failed. If they haven't tried, if, they, if the whole point was Jesus wasn't there, so we're waiting on you, then Jesus could have very easily said, well, I gave the power to them. Let them do it. But the fact that it says they could not is a good indication that they tried and failed. And Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now I want you to notice that it does not say in verse 19, Jesus answered the disciples. It does not say that Jesus turned around to the disciples and said, what is wrong with you guys? I've given you the power and the ability to do this. Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? And there's an indication or at least an implication in my reading of this that the disciples expected that they should be able to do it. I don't think they're just trying to see when it's going to work. I believe that it's going in the same manner that it does in a lot of other places where they went. Sometimes Jesus would follow after them and sometimes they'd go alone. But the, both the 12 and the 70 had had, had authority over devils uh, delegated unto them. And it worked. It worked for them. So notice Jesus in verse 19 answers the man, the father of the son, and says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. I want you to see what also Jesus is implying. He's implying that I'm not always going to be here. You guys better learn to make this work. Can't you see that? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto Jesus, and when he saw him, when the boy saw Jesus, straightway the spirit tore him. Now notice this is the influence of the, of the evil spirit, the demonic spirit that's in him. Straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? How long has he been like this? And the father said, since he was a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, 
all things are possible to him that believes. The King James does not bring it out, but the original uh, Greek language is a pretty, indi- pretty clear indication, gives a pretty clear indication that Jesus is answering the Father sarcastically. The Father says, if you can do anything about this, help me. Now, you can understand where the Father's coming from because the disciples have tried and failed to cast the devil out of the boy. That would be disheartening at the very least. But apparently, he's projecting it back over on Jesus. Maybe the Father's not sure who can do what anymore because of the failure of the disciples. So he says, if Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds sarcastically and says, if I can, all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus is saying, it's not a matter of what I can do. What I can do is determined by what you believe. Now, folks, I want you to understand that Jesus sees what the problem is where the disciples did not. Jesus recognizes that his power, his ability, is going to be governed only by what the Father believes. You remember over in Mark chapter 6, it tells us about Jesus went into to, uh, Nazareth, the town where he grew up as a boy. Luke chapter 4 and uh, Mark chapter 6 are the same account. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 tells us Jesus took the scrolls, found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel to the poor and heal the brokenhearted, to, re- to preach the cover- recovering of sight to the blind, deliverance to the captives, and so forth. Jesus closes the book and sits down and says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, Jesus said, this is talking about me. Everybody knows that the scriptures that he reads are messianic scriptures. They're pertaining to the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus has all but said, I'm the Messiah. He couldn't have been clearer in what he was trying to get across to them, what he was revealing to them, if he had said, I'm the Christ. He's identified it by the words that he spoke and telling them that this day, this scripture, these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. Well, Jesus has already done things, mighty works and miracles in Capernaum. As Jesus is talking to the people in the synagogue, he says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking do the same works. You're thinking that I should do the same works here that you heard that I did in Capernaum. So he knows that they know about his miracles and and the power of God that he's demonstrated, at least up to that point in his ministry. But they wouldn't believe. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 says it this way. After they question and they say, well, isn't this the guy that's the son of Mary and Joseph? Well, they were part right. He's the son of Mary, but not Joseph. They said, we know him. He grew up here. In, In essence, they're saying he's nothing special. Or he's no one special. And it says in Mark chapter 6 verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. Notice it doesn't say that he wouldn't do anything. It says he couldn't do anything. He could there do no mighty work. Save or accept. He laid his hands on a few sickly folks. And healed them. The word sick in uh, Vine's expository dictionary. Of New Testament words. Is identified as the word sickly. Meaning people that didn't have too much wrong with them. So maybe he was able to cure a headache or two. But no blind eyes were opened even though the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to open the blind eyes. No cripples were healed even though he was anointed to heal the cripples. 
No leprosy was cast out or removed from anybody's body, even though he had the power of God delegated to him to do just that. And it tells us why. It says, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and healed them. And he marveled. Verse 6 goes on to say, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now, he tries to fix the problem, at least to some degree. It says he went around their cities and their villages teaching in the synagogues. He's trying to get them to accept him. He's trying to get them to believe. He's trying to get them to exercise some faith in what God sent him to do so that the power of God will work. So when you put that together and understand the story in Luke 4 and Mark 6, together with this story here in in, uh, Mark chapter 9, concerning the boy that was had the dumb spirit when Jesus says if I can in a sarcastic way he's saying he's letting us know what the Bible's revealed to us before it's all dependent on what the father believes that's why Jesus doesn't talk to the disciples about their unbelief that's why he doesn't answer the disciples and say oh faithless generation he talks to the father because the father's the one with authority over this boy And he very clearly says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. He's telling the Father, the sky's the limit based on what you're willing to believe. It's fascinating to me that with so much modern day attention fastened on or focused on whether or not God can do something. Jesus clearly said, when he was here on the earth, he clearly said, The power of God is limited only by somebody's unbelief. The power of God is limited only by what someone is willing to believe. You can believe for anything, and God will meet you right there. So when Jesus says, if I can, he's saying it's not a matter of whether or not I've got the power. Jesus had all the power of the Holy Ghost resident upon him in one body. He could have done anything. We see him multiply loaves and fishes. We see him walk on water. We see miracle after miracle after miracle where he exercises authority and shows God's power beyond physical laws. Laws of nature. Laws of physics. And the man with the the unlimited power of God, he had the spirit of God without measure, the Bible says. The man with that kind of power says, I can go as far as you're willing to believe. So the father answers. He realizes that Jesus has put the responsibility back over on him. He's trying to shirk that responsibility. He's trying to get Jesus to carry it, which is so common among Christians. So many times we're trying to get God to do what we're supposed to do. And we're trying to do what he's supposed to do. So the father answers. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, folks, maybe this is just me, but that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement of faith. He's not talking about faith any more than he is unbelief. But he does say what's necessary, and that is, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, 
Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And he was coming, when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now I want to read this to you from another um, account. It's Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 17. I'll pick up in verse 19. It says, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Matthew adds a scripture that uh, is left out of Mark's account. So I want to read this together with it. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, if you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you, how be it, this kind goeth forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Well, you can understand, it doesn't excuse it, but you can understand why the disciples are at the place that they are. I imagine that when the father brought the son to the disciples, as the scripture tells us, Jesus wasn't there. Peter wasn't there. James and John were off with Jesus witnessing the mountain of transfiguration experience. And the other disciples, the other nine disciples, are acting and act toward this father and this son just like they do with everybody else. They're expecting it to work. It always works or always worked up to then. We don't have any other example of where the disciples tried and failed. We'd have to add to the scripture to say that it happened because we wouldn't know. And the fact that the Bible doesn't tell us that it didn't happen or didn't work in other situations, we would have to assume that what Jesus delegated to them was being used effectively or else Jesus would fix it. But there's nothing in the scripture to indicate that either. So these nine disciples, nine of the 12 that are there when the father brings his son, They recognize what the problem is. The father must have told them the same thing that he told Jesus about the dumb and the deaf spirit. He may not have gotten into the information about how long it's had it or what the circumstances were surrounding it. But they're expecting it to work. And they tried and failed. Maybe they tried again and failed. Maybe they tried again and failed. Whether they did it more than once or not, we know that they were unsuccessful and they didn't know why. After it's all over, they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? They still haven't caught on to what Jesus knows and what the Bible reveals to us. That faith is necessary on the part of the recipient. Faith is necessary to receive from God. So Jesus identifies their unbelief as well. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, remove to yonder place and it'll obey you. So maybe he's telling them, you gave up without identifying what the problem was and fixing the problem. Now, folks, this is not rocket science. If these things were complicated, we could not be expected to to participate in them. And especially that's true of the disciples. These are unsaved men. They don't have the life of God within them. They, They would have if they had the opportunity, but Jesus had to go to the cross first. 
These are unsaved men. They're not new creatures in Christ Jesus. They have old, unregenerated spirits. Spiritually dead is the specific term the Bible uses. They're dead in trespasses and sins. So if Jesus delegates authority to heal the sick, heal every manner of disease and every manner of sickness among the people, if he gives them authority to cast out devils, Nowhere did he say, I'll give you authority to cast out small devils, but bring the big cases to me. No, he gives them the same thing that's been given to him. He delegates to them the ability and the mandate to do the same work that he did for himself or through himself. If this stuff was complicated, he had the wrong group of people working for him. Because there were times where they didn't believe the very simple things that he was trying to share with them. And he upbraided them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. There's only one problem that will stop it from working. And that's unbelief. How smart do you have to be to get a hold of that concept? But apparently they didn't. Apparently they didn't pay attention to that. Maybe they hadn't run into a situation like Jesus did when he was in Nazareth that kept it from working and so they just assumed that it would always work and then when they run into difficulty they run into a hindrance then they shrivel up and pull away withdraw so Jesus says one reason it wouldn't work is because of their unbelief for if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed you'd say to the mountain remove yonder and it would obey you but then notice in both Mark's account and in Matthew's account it says, how be it? There's another wrinkle here. How be it this kind goeth forth by prayer and fasting? Now, folks, let me ask you a question. What does prayer and fasting do when it comes to the power of God? Is there anywhere that the Bible says pray and you'll get more power? A lot of Christians believe that. A lot of Christians pray for more power. But you can't get more power than the name of Jesus. That's it. Anything that's too big for that to cover, you're just out of luck. However, there's good news. There's nothing that's too big for that name to cover. So prayer doesn't change the power of God. This fasting, we don't have any indication on any level in any example anywhere that fasting either makes the power of God available or increases it. So why does this kind not go forth? How is it that this kind of evil spirit and the hold that it has on this boy cannot be broken except by prayer and fasting? Well, the answer is simple. Prayer and fasting changes you. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change the devil. But it changes you. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 10. Let's talk a little bit about prayer and fasting. Beginning in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 10, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. 
neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, here's what's happening. Daniel goes on a fast. I think we'd be well served to point out that it's a partial fast. It doesn't say Daniel didn't eat anything for three weeks. It says Daniel didn't eat any pleasant bread. That means he's eating to sustain himself and his physical strength. But he's not eating anything or not eating as much of anything as what he wants to eat or something that's good for him. Something that's good to to his taste is what I mean good for him. He's on a, a partial fast. He eats no pleasant bread. It doesn't say that he's not eating anything. So what does that tell us? That tells us there are a whole lot of different kinds of fasts. Fasting is leaving something off for a period of time. But notice something else that's important about this, and that is Daniel is fasting for a specific purpose. He goes on this partial fast because he's looking for a specific answer from God. He wants to have understanding of the vision. The vision he's talking about is Jeremiah's vision, where Jeremiah prophesies that Israel will be under Babylonian rule for a certain period of time. Daniel sees Jeremiah's prophecy and says that time is about up. So he's fasting to get information from God, divine revelation from God about the times and how this thing is supposed to to pan out. Uh, So he says neither flesh nor wine comes into his mouth for three whole weeks. And in the fourth and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hidekel, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. So the power of God, the presence of God is on the scene. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face was toward the ground." And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Folks, you know, a lot of people get upset because when you lay hands on some people, they'll fall under the power of God. Some people just put it on themselves because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But sometimes people are overcome by the power of God and fall. Well, some people have a hard time with that and they get disturbed about that. But if this is any indication, what do you think they're going to do when God starts setting them back up? That's what happens with Daniel. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, 21 days before, From the first day that thou didst set your heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Chasten means to discipline himself. He's going on the fast as a means of disciplining his body to get the answer that he wants from God. 
From the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Where's he been for 21 days? If he left the first day, heaven must be a long, long way away. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. Now it goes on to tell more about the vision and so forth, but I wanted you to see the, the uh, example of fasting that the Bible indicates concerning Daniel. Daniel was on a partial fast for 21 days, for a specific purpose. For a specific purpose. Brother Hagin used to tell about different times when he would fast. For many years while he was traveling on the road, and, and uh, most of those years in the, at the early part of the, his uh, ministry, for the sake of finances and just convenience, really. And then when they started having kids, he was by himself for most of those times. And so he said that during the week you'd have uh, certain fast days. Usually those were Tuesday and Thursday. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, he wouldn't eat anything at all. He had just spent some extra time in whatever meeting he was in, the church he was holding the meeting in, praying and, and uh, walking around, talking to God and things like that. Well, over a period of time, the Lord, over many years later, the Lord spoke to him and told him this. He said, I would rather you live a fasted life than to have certain fast days. And he described living a fasted life as not eating any, the, everything that you want to eat, but being willing to push back from the table when you've had enough. There were other things that he talked about concerning his fasting. His, uh, well, I hate to call it a schedule, but it was a schedule for the early part of his ministry. He said, if there was something specific that I needed to get an answer for from God, I would fast until I got the answer. He said, I never fasted over three days for any one thing before the answer came, and then I'd go back to eating. Fasting has to have a purpose. Now, you hear all kinds of things um, about fasting, and, and this is true since from the time that I remember being in Bible school, before I started doing any ministering on my own of my own there were always people that were trying to get other people to fast and follow certain regimens and, and things like that one new wrinkle and, and error comes around about every 20 years about every 20 years or so something some new doctrine or what some people think is a new doctrine which is really rehashed old doctrine will show back up you see it with uh, people talking about the devil's kingdom and you see it with fasting, you see it with extremities, uh, extreme measures concerning prayer and different twists and wrinkles that put, people put on it. But the latest thing about fasting that uh, showed up a couple of years ago is that some people were saying that you had to fast certain amounts of time for certain conditions. 
concerning healing, for example, they'd say you, if you, um, and I don't know, I don't remember any of the specifics, but it would be something like if uh, uh, you're fasting for your healing from cancer, that'll take two weeks. But if you're just fasting for um, some other disease, it'll take a different period of time. And that, that fascinated me because I want to know who knows that. How would anybody come up with that kind of schedule? I mean, think about it. You'd have to have somebody that fasted all the time and kept a log of what happened on the next day. It just doesn't make sense. But it's one of the things that took place. And like I said, different, different uh, doctrines, different ideas come around from time to time. But there's two main things that you need to know about fasting, and that is it needs to have a purpose and it needs to be defined. Now, let me, let me give you a, a little bit of an illustration concerning my own experience. And I don't expect you to live by my experience. And whether you feel that this is of any value or not, you judge for yourself. But about a year and a half ago, December of 2016, I was uh, battling some physical symptoms and was at a real low point. And there were results of that that were showing up in my body. And I'm not talking about the being attacked with sickness at, the, at that time. My body was just out of control. I could not stop eating. I, 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 I should qualify that. When I say I could not, I'm sure it was within my power to stop. But I just didn't have the willpower to push away from anything. And the more I ate, the hungrier I got. Because I was hungry all the time, I wound up eating a lot of junk food and stuff that wasn't good for me. And that added to the problem. My weight was ballooning up. And I was just desperate. And I don't know why it took me so long, but finally I got to the point where I prayed about it. And I asked the Lord. I said, now, Lord, you know that I'm out of control. I know I'm out of control. The devil knows I'm out of control. I need your help. Well... One of the first things I started doing is trying to identify how do I try to get things back on track? You know as well as I do, there are a million and one diet ideas out there. Some of those plans I've tried through the years and never had any success with anything, to be honest with you. My weight was never really a problem. You can see from some of the pictures in the early days of the church, I was not anorexic, but I sure looked like it. But when I hit 40 years old, that changed overnight. And so I really didn't know what to do. I really did not know what to do. I'm struggling. I'm sincerely asking God for help. And one morning I woke up and decided, just decided. I thought to myself, since I don't know what to eat, one thing's for sure. I cannot gain weight if I don't eat anything. So that evening, it was a Wednesday, that evening, I ate, the only thing that I did eat that day was around 4 o'clock, came to church and preached, and from that 4 o'clock time period, I decided I wasn't going to eat another thing until I was satisfied with the direction that I was going. Folks, I got to tell you, with all the times that I've tried to fast, tried to diet or whatever 
they were always nightmare situations. I mean, the very thought of missing a meal just sent cold shivers up my spine because I knew what I would experience. And you can't do it if you don't plan it. But I got to tell you, that fast that I believe was the answer to my prayer was the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I went for the next five days and did not want anything to eat. That was not a complete fast. I drank some tea, but I didn't, have any, I didn't have a bite of solid food for five days. And I was under control and deciding for myself if I wanted to keep going or not. And I really just felt like at the end of those five days, it would be good to eat a little bit. But here again, I've got a question, what am I going to do? Because if I go back to what I was doing before, I've, those five days are wasted. I was down about 15 pounds in those five days. But now what am I going to do? And within the next 24 hours, the Lord led me to something that I've been doing ever since. That was a year and a half ago. He led me to something I've been doing ever since, and I've got my body completely back under control. I don't care if I eat or not. I'm not motivated by food. I can miss a meal or eat, either one. It doesn't matter. Now, folks, please understand. I want to be clear about this. I was not doing, uh, uh, I was not trying to fast for spiritual reasons. I was trying to get my body back under control, but it brought spiritual benefits. I came back to the place. Well, I say I came back to the place. Maybe the first time I've ever been into place where I could say with Paul that I keep my body under. Because most of my life, I've been a slave to food. But I had a high metabolism. I was real active in doing a lot of things, so it never really showed up. But just because I was skinny didn't mean I wasn't a slave to food. But eventually that caught up with me as I've described. Now there's, I do not want anybody to think that I'm trying to get people to do what I did. Because I wouldn't have been able to do what I did even a month before I did it. I was at a place where it was affecting my relationship with God. I was at a place where I called on God's help. And so I consider what happened and the way that it worked for me an answer to prayer. That might or might not be somebody else's experience. I don't know. So I'm not trying to get anybody to follow my experience. But I am trying to show you that fasting changes you. Fasting will make a difference in you. It makes you more spiritually aware and less aware of your body. And that's the way Jesus lived. Jesus didn't have to go pray and fast to find out why this is not working for this little boy. He knew. Well, why did he know? Because he's living a life where he's sensitive to the voice of the Holy Ghost, sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God to such a degree that he always knew how to minister. He always knew what to do. Now, every coin has two sides. Let me tell you the other side of something. And this is something that happened maybe six months ago, roughly, I guess. I was in a place where I got the idea that I wanted to carve out some time. And again, this is based on my own experience. I don't expect other people to experience the same thing. I don't know if they will or not. I don't know. I don't have the answers on that. But I can look back to the five days fasting that took place in December of 2016 
as one of the best weeks of my life. It was fun. That's what tells me it was supernatural. Because that had never been fun before for me. But I had the help of God. I was aware that he was helping me. It worked wonderfully. It was just a great experience. And I never expected to be able to come out of any time of fasting and say that was a great experience. So a couple of months back, some months back, maybe six, I got to the place where I thought, okay, this has been a long time. I've been dealing with this physical situation for a long time. Thank God for the improvements. I'm not believing in the improvements. If I look better today, I believe the same thing as I would as if I look worse today. I'm not holding on to the, to the physical evidence as being any kind of indicator for my faith whatsoever. But this has been a long time. Longest thing I've ever believed for. Longer than a lot of people that I have great respect for say that you should have to wait or keep believing through. And so I got to the place where I thought, now, Lord, there may be something here that I'm not seeing. And maybe the reason I'm not seeing is because I need to be more spirit conscious than I am body conscious. So I thought to myself, I decided myself. I did not pray about it. I had a, just as much of a conversation with the Lord as I just described to you. I didn't ask him anything. I didn't ask him to show me anything. But I have planned now and looked at the calendar for a place that I could go for another week fasting if necessary, however long it took to get my answer, where I could really bear down and find out, is there something that I'm not doing in this situation that I need to be doing? So I've got, the, I've got my calendar planned. I've got the time carved out. I'm ready to go. My plan is to start the next morning on whatever period of time for a fast that the Lord leads me to go. And so the night before, I talked to the Lord about it for the first time. I, I'm an idiot for, not talk, for waiting that long to talk to him. But for whatever reason, I just decided, made up my mind, this is how I'm going to do it. There were some things during that first five days of fasting that the Lord spoke to me about, just kind of out of the blue that I didn't expect to hear from him on. Wasn't really looking for an answer. But the more spirit conscious I became and less body conscious I became, the more information I started getting from the Lord. So I decided I'm going to go on this second fast, searching for an answer, not physical. I'm not doing it for physical benefits. If it produces physical benefits, that's fine, but I'm not trying to lose any more weight, so who cares? But I'm looking for a spiritual benefit, a spiritual answer. So the night before I'm planning to start fasting, I said, now, Lord, you know the preparations I've made. I've carved out some time. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to fast to find out from you what, if anything, I need to do concerning my physical condition. And instantly, the Lord quoted Mark eleven twenty two. You know what that says. And Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Well, he blew my whole fast plan out of the water. Nothing to fast about now. I've got my answer. Now, the other, the other part of that that I want to point out is that if I had continued and said, well, yeah, okay, I know to believe you. I know that faith is the answer. But it still seems like maybe there's something else I need to find out or identify. If I had pushed ahead after I had gotten my answer, there's no telling what the devil would have done 
because now I would have stepped out of faith and over into unbelief. There's no, there's no doubt that the devil would have tried to influence me. I can see a number of ways that that might have gone. He might have told me a bunch of things that didn't have anything to do with anything to distract me and get me pointed in the wrong direction. There's just any number of things that could have happened if I had not accepted the Lord's answer and thought there was something else to do. So fasting would have been a detriment to me had I continued. Continued with my plan. I never did fast. Never did get to the time where I was going to fast. But it would have been detrimental to me had I done it for my own purposes after God gave me the information I asked for. And I think that's what happens a lot of times where it comes to fasting. And everybody seems to want to tell you their experience. And I'm, I'm trying real careful to, to not do the same thing. I'm not suggesting that you do what I did. I don't know that you should do what I did. But so many times people will go on these fasts and usually they're long ones. People only brag about the long ones. And people go on these fasts and then tell you what you ought to do. I've seen people wreck their health by trying to follow what somebody else did. Now maybe it worked for the other people because they were doing it for a different reason than somebody that was just trying to ape and imitate the story they heard from them. But there are certain benefits for fasting that the Bible is real clear on. It's great for getting an answer from God. Well, how long should we fast to get an answer? To get the answer. Once you get the answer, go back to eating. Another thing is that it, and this is my experience, whether it works for you or not, you're going to have to decide. But it was a great way, the only way that I'd ever found up until that point well, even since then, the only thing I've ever found that really enabled me to keep my body under. And that has been one of the most marvelous spiritual benefits that I've ever experienced. Now I don't just read the scripture and say, oh yeah, I'm like Paul, I keep my body under. I really am keeping my body under. And it's brought tremendous spiritual benefit. Tremendous spiritual benefit. So when Jesus answered the disciples, when they said, why couldn't we cast the devil out of this little boy? His answer was very specific. He said, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. For if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, remove to yonder place, and it'll obey you. Folks, there should be nothing, something that does happen or something that doesn't happen. There should be nothing that stops us from speaking God's word because God's word is truth. The devil would love nothing more than to make you and I think that it doesn't always work. Well, if it doesn't work, it's because of unbelief. I'm going to make sure the unbelief is not mine. And that's all I can do. If I'm praying for somebody else and they're in unbelief, that shouldn't change the way that I pray. It shouldn't, shouldn't change the expectation that I have. And if I'm spiritually sensitive enough, I should be able to see or hear from the Lord what the problem is and take the same measures that Jesus did and try to correct the problem on the spot. That should be the way we live. Folks, the power of God's not hit and miss. It always works. When you work it, it always works. 
And that's what Jesus showed his disciples. And that's the example he left for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You are so good to us. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for revealing yourself and teaching us what we don't know. Revealing what we don't see. I thank you, Father, for making a way for each and every one of us. I thank you, Father, that there is nothing that's too hard for you. There's no physical condition that's beyond your ability or your willingness to help. I thank you, Lord, that the word of God is true no matter what and no matter for how long. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Father, we'll continue to believe that. We'll continue to confess that for as long as it takes. Time is irrelevant because your word is true. Your word says, Father, that through faith and patience we receive the promises. So as long as we do our part, which we commit to you to do, we thank you that you're faithful to watch over your word to perform it. Therefore, Father, we declare that you're faithful to restore us to divine health and to heal our wounds. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great Memorial Day tomorrow. You're dismissed.